new United Nations report warns the impacts of climate change are increasing and inevitable. Experts say that we have until 2030 to avoid catastrophe. Temperatures in the Arctic have warmed about two or three times. It will be very difficult and impossible for our children to control climate change. This is South of Two Degrees, and I am your host, Brian Barnes. It is so good to have you back again with me today on the only podcast dedicated to bringing unfiltered scientific research to the forefront of the climate conversation. We've got a great show for you today, so my friends, once more, into the fray. I want to start today by letting you know that our hope was to do Climate Change 101 in a single episode, but as we found, there's about 30 minutes worth of content to lay a strong foundation for our analysis and future shows, so we voted to break this into two parts. So today is going to be the first bit of laying that foundation. With that, let's start with you, the listener, and how you fit into the climate conversation, and then transition on to the hard facts. Now, as discussed in the first episode, the goal of this podcast is to push aside the media interpretation of climate change that echoes a message charged for a certain audience and provide you with only scientific information that's either directly quoted or simplified from published scientific and peer-reviewed papers, as well as some intergovernmental reports. You are not going to be getting information derived from opinion pieces, news outlets, pundits, or politicians. If I'm being honest, to appreciate this show, you need only believe in the scientific method and the scientific community as a whole. I'm never going to ask you to blindly trust me, nor will I ever ask you to trust any source outside of direct scientific research. That said, if you're someone who truly believes the earth is flat and that science is a hoax, honestly, I can't help you. I don't know who can, but I definitely can't help you, so I'll save you some time by suggesting you just turn me off now. But if you're still with me and you do trust pure science, regardless of your political belief, but you don't have the time or the means to find accurate information, then this show is for you. This actually brings me to a good point, as the first step in addressing any problem is just to admit that there is one. And we have to start by recognizing and accepting that anthropogenic climate change is real. Yes, climates have changed and will continue to change. That is an undeniable fact. And if that is your argument, you are, in a sense, correct. However, it is not an excuse to dismiss the rapid rate of change we are seeing as a result of anthropogenic means. So to my listeners who have been labeled as skeptics, let me address you directly for a minute. Accepting anthropogenic climate change is not a criticism of the way you lead your personal life. It's not an attack on who you are. It's just not. I realize many of you have been labeled as such or appear apathetic when you may really not be. Many of you are rather caught in what the scientific community calls a double bind. In other words, damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because there isn't anyone out there that can't see change happening. From the hardworking farmers of the American Midwest that have seen growing seasons change dramatically to the wonderful people of Australia dealing with horrifying fires. From the wine growers of Europe looking for cooler regions to actually move their vineyards to and citizens of island nations all over the world who have witnessed firsthand an ever-rising tide. You see this like they do and recognize it but you're stuck between the skepticism resulting from the mass amounts of politicalization and misinformation and the feeling that your own life is being unfairly judged. Anthropogenic climate change is not happening because you personally live a bad life. 
Rather, it is happening because as a global society, we have lost sight of the fact that the earth, like any house, requires care and maintenance. And for too long, we have let our governments and some corporations abuse our house for their gain. Look, at the heart of the climate debate is a financial debate. I get that. And that is a grown-up conversation we must be willing to have. Yet before we do, we have to start by finding a common spot that is simply acknowledgement that as a unified society, we face a problem. And in order to address it, we need everyone's help. And to those who already recognize anthropogenic climate change for the threat that it is, those who are out rallying and protesting, the youth that have pushed this dire issue into the mainstream conversation and are working so hard to hold adults and governments accountable, keep this in mind. Addressing climate change is not about fighting some future battle. It's not about our children's future. Anthropogenic climate change is here today and must be addressed in the here and now. It is one of the greatest threats the human race has faced and makes this terrible coronavirus outbreak pale in comparison. But just as many nations have learned with the outbreak, we can't sit on our laurels and say, well, that's happening to those people over there. We have to address it together as a singular global community. So to my activists and youth rallying for change, I ask you this. Put down your pitchforks and temper your conversations with other individuals. Yes, hold those in power accountable. That has been your greatest gift to humanity thus far. But realize we can't work with anyone that feels cornered. Now that I've hopefully addressed how you can fit into the climate conversation yourself, let's dive into the crux of the show and look at the numbers and nomenclature of climate change, where we've come from, and where we are. Now, this may be exceedingly basic to some, but we'll ramp it up quickly, so hold on. First off, let's tackle a few terms that get thrown around in conversations and papers. To start, let's look at two terms that are often used interchangeably and another that gets confused in the mix, yet all have distinct meanings. Climate change, global warming, and weather. Global warming is used to describe the overall warming of the planet as compared to pre-industrial levels. Now, we'll cover that in a minute. It's the upward trend in the average surface temperature of the planet through anthropogenic means, mainly through the burning of fossil fuels that result in the increase and release of greenhouse gases. Climate change, on the other hand, is both the natural and anthropogenic change in the local and global climates as defined by average weather patterns. As I mentioned in the beginning of the show, there are some individuals that like to acknowledge the natural yet disregard the anthropogenic. But we have to accept that the plain and pure fact is that both exist. However, the main driver of the change, and more importantly, the cause of the rapid rate of change that has been observed over the 20th and beginning of the 21st century, is in fact anthropogenic. Now let's address weather. On newscast after newscast, you see reports confusing weather and climate change. I've seen it far too often. They are two separate things, so let's break it down very quickly. Weather is the observable conditions for any given day. The best analogy I've heard to differentiate the two is this. Think of weather like the clothes you wear on any particular day for wherever you live. Climate, on the other hand, is all the clothes in your closet as they define what it's like to live year over year in any given spot. Climate change, then, in this analogy, is the difference in your wardrobe over time. Weather is not typically caused by climate change. 
Rather, it is an event that is either more or less likely to occur due to the change in the Earth's climate. Now, we'll dig into this a bit more in two weeks in one of the papers discussing climate change in the Australian fires. Next up on our term list, anthropogenic. Anthropogenic comes from the Greek word anthropogene and translates to born of man. Now, the term anthropogenic can be traced back to the first use in 1883 and is simply an adjective used to describe changes in nature caused by humankind. Okay, now on to the Industrial Revolution as the starting point for measuring anthropogenic climate change. Obviously, current climate research reaches back to pre-human times. The oldest ice core, which was taken actually in 2016, was dated 2.7 million years old. But climate data is usually considered unreliable beyond about 800,000 years. But back to the modern era, all right? When exactly is pre-industrial? While historically it began in England in the mid-18th century and the beginning of industrialization in the United States is usually pegged to the opening of a textile mill by Samuel Slater in Pawtucket, Rhode Island in 1793. Ha <laughs> take that, 8th grade history. Anyway, there is no scientifically agreed upon starting point with regards to climate science. I repeat, there is no scientifically agreed upon starting point of the Industrial Revolution with regards to climate science. You need to keep this in mind as we discuss on this show and or you read reports on your own. While pre-industrial is referenced in both the Paris Accord of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or the UNFCCC, and the Fifth Assessment Report, or AR5, by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC, no specific definition is given. Now, I know I just threw a lot of alphabet soup at you, but I'm actually going to reference both of those documents often, so I encourage you to check them out. You can easily find the links for them on our website, south2degrees.org. That said, both of those reports used a mean temp between 1850 and 1900 for their baseline calculations. There are, however, good arguments to go back a bit further due to a myriad of reasons as well as to drop the pre-industrial moniker altogether and just use a hard date in order to better align the science. There's actually a fantastic paper on this published in 2016 that I'll go ahead and link on the website as well, but I won't dive into the nitty-gritty here, so to speak, on this episode as we just don't have enough time. However, if I get enough feedback that you all want me to break this paper down in a later episode, I'd be more than happy to. Okay, now that we have pre-industrial out of the way, let's keep rolling. Simply put, the Earth warms from incoming solar radiation from our sun. Of that, approximately 29% is reflected back into space, mainly from clouds and a smaller amount from the surface. 23% absorbed in the atmosphere and 48% absorbed at Earth's surface. Now, when we speak of global warming, we are, in effect, speaking of how the balance of incoming solar radiation is shifted and continues to shift towards the warmer. In anthropogenic means, we're largely discussing the increase in greenhouse gases. Now, the main greenhouse gases are water vapor, carbon dioxide or CO2, methane, CH4, nitrous oxide, N2O, and ozone or O3. So let's look at water vapor briefly and then we'll kick off next week's show with the four horsemen of climate change, if you will. 
Now, water vapor concentrations vary greatly between locations, and it's not a direct byproduct of anthropogenic means except in some very localized areas. That said, it is a byproduct of a warming environment, and it's been shown that a small rise in temperature dramatically increases atmospheric water vapor, which warms the environment and, in effect, greatly increases water vapor again, also known as the water vapor feedback. And it's also been shown to amplify greenhouse gas effects. It only remains in the atmosphere for about nine days, though, and as we can't control it independently, rather only by addressing other gases, we'll move on, save to say, you should pay attention with regards to studies to see if they include or didn't include water vapor in their greenhouse gas calculations. And on that note, that's it for the Fast and Furious Part 1 of Climate Change 101, so be sure to join us next week for Part 2 as we discuss the main greenhouse gases, Arctic amplification, the Montreal Protocol, and the Paris Accord, how 1.5 degrees differs from 2 degrees, and for all you smartasses out there who are saying, well, it varies by a half a degree, I'm talking about the relative impact half a degree makes with regards to the climate conversation, as well as a lot more. So to those who use Apple Podcasts, please be sure to give the show a rating as it helps us get more content out there and it really encourages us here at South of Two Degrees. Be sure to follow us at South of Two Degrees on Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And for the latest information, always pop over to the southoftwodegrees.org and follow our blog. Finally, do this for me. Tell one other person about this show. Have one conversation about climate change in the next week. And above all, Let's keep it south of two degrees.